Hello, I'm Sherry House, a missionary living in Thailand who loves to study the lives of great women of whom it can be said she hath done what she could. Welcome to Silhouettes, my weekly story about a lady whose life challenges, encourages, and teaches me. I hope as you listen today, your heart will be encouraged and challenged too to do what you can for the Lord. So grab a cup of tea, sit back and enjoy. Let me tell you her story. Eleanor Chestnut was born in Waterloo, Iowa on January 8, 1868. From the beginning of her life, Eleanor seemed destined to hardship. Her Irish father abandoned their poor frontier family at the time of her and her twin brother's birth. Three short years later, her mother passed away, leaving Eleanor and her three siblings as orphans. She was left in the care of neighbors until at the age of 12, Eleanor was passed off to a poor aunt in Missouri. Very early on, she realized the destitute situation she was in, and she resented it. She did nothing to hide her feelings and was a miserable person to be around. Her teachers considered her one of their difficult students, although there was no denying she was extremely intelligent. She was so intelligent that at the age of 15, she was admitted to Park College without any financial support. She was required to work on the school farm and property to pay her school fees and somehow managed to survive, although she was very malnourished. At the time, the school was affiliated with the Presbyterian Church, and the students were required to go to chapel three times a day and to attend church. Eventually, the atmosphere of the campus began to have an effect on Eleanor, and her demeanor changed from one of bitterness towards God for the hardships in her life to one who desired to know Him and have a close relationship with Him. In place of her bitterness was a sympathy for others who were poor and unlovely and proud. Once Eleanor became a Christian, she started to sense that maybe the Lord had gifted her with a brilliant mind, but allowed her life to be so difficult because he had a plan for her to serve him in a difficult situation. Her heart turned more and more to the notion of being a medical missionary. In the spring of 1888, she graduated with a diploma from Park College and promptly enrolled in the Nurses' Training School of Illinois. Her teachers quickly recognized her abilities, and she was granted an opportunity that few were given. She was admitted into the Northwestern University Women's Medical College of Chicago to study to become a doctor. Although she was rich in intelligence, she was still a young, poor girl. She lived in an unheated attic and ate meals of mostly oatmeal, nearly starving to death that first year. But she was determined to equip herself the best she could for the work the Lord would have her do. In 1894, at the age of 26, Eleanor graduated from medical school. She immediately enrolled at Moody Bible Institute to further prepare for the mission field and completed a course in four months. She applied to the American Presbyterian Board and expressed her desire to go to Siam, but stated she was willing to serve wherever she was needed. They asked her to go to their work in South China. Eleanor agreed, and in September of that same year, before her 27th birthday, she had arrived in China. Eleanor's first assignment was divided between language study, where she learned Mandarin and Cantonese, and caring for the sick. Being such a skilled doctor, Eleanor was asked to head up a new mission work in Lin Chao, located 300 miles away. The isolated hospital had inadequate facilities and very few capable staff to help her. She tended to thousands of patients, though, each year and was forced at times to perform operations in her bathroom and work with limited medicines. Eleanor was keenly aware of the spiritual impact the hospital had on the surrounding area. The outcome of each patient's medical situation had dire consequences on the missionary's abilities to reach the people with the gospel. Eleanor once wrote to a friend, Every patient that I lose counts so much against the work here. 
Once, a young Chinese man was brought in from the country due to an injury to his leg. He was close to death, and the native physicians and Buddhist priests were dancing around the man burning paper prayers and predicting a quick death. Eleanor stepped in and amputated part of his leg off to try and save his life. The man improved, but the wound wasn't healing well. Eleanor knew he would need a skin graft if he had a hope of surviving. None of his relatives were willing to help. Without any assistance or anyone else's knowledge, Eleanor injected a local anesthetic into her own leg, removed a large section of skin, and grafted it onto her patient's stump. The man's wound healed nicely and dealt a blow to the prestige of the native priests. Her act of selflessness did not go unnoticed by the locals. The young man became a Christian and later Eleanor's faithful assistant. After a couple years of laboring on her own, additional medical help arrived, allowing Eleanor to focus more on the female patients. Eleanor rode on horseback to neighboring villages to hold clinics and explain the dangers of foot binding. She trained local women as nurses, and she supervised the construction of a hospital that would be dedicated especially for the care of women. So passionate was Eleanor about helping these people that the Lord had called her to that she determined to live on just $1.50 a month and give the rest of her salary for bricks and other supplies to this project. Eleanor was just as passionate about the spiritual needs of the people as she was their physical needs. She witnessed in word and deed and took the time to translate the Gospel of Matthew into the local dialect, as well as a nursing textbook and other helpful books. During the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, Eleanor decided she wouldn't leave her post and continued on in her work. She wrote to a friend, I don't think we are in any danger, but if we are, we might as well die suddenly in God's work as by some long, drawn-out illness at home. In 1902, after eight years of service without a break, the mission board insisted that she come home for a furlough. The following year, Eleanor went back to the work and to the people she had come to love. In 1905, the men's hospital under Dr. Edward Mackle and the women's hospital under Eleanor treated 13,056 patients with 195 operations. The mission board recognized that Eleanor was a capable and brilliant missionary and asked if she would consider becoming the head of a much larger and more prestigious women's hospital in a larger city. Eleanor declined, stating that it would be a mistake for her to leave as she was so acquainted with the people there, their dialect, their diseases, their faults, and their virtues. On October 29th of that same year, Eleanor and the other missionaries were busy seeing to patients. The Chinese were in the middle of celebrating a Buddhist holiday, and Dr. Mackle insisted that a shed associated with the idolatrous ceremony, which had been erected on hospital property, be removed. Officials agreed to remove it, but some of the locals were offended. A mob ensued. Eleanor was able to escape to plead for the local authorities to come and help restore order. Instead of staying in safety, Eleanor raced back to the hospital in order to help her colleagues. Dr. Mackle's wife was killed as she tried to reason with the angry mob. Their young daughter, Amy, and a new missionary couple that had only arrived the day before were also martyred. The mob then turned on Eleanor and pushed her down some temple steps. She was dragged down to the steep bank and thrown into the river, and then she was stabbed three times. Eleanor's life began and ended in tragedy, but the days of her life between when she drew her first breath and when she drew her last had a great effect on many.
As news of her death spread, many took up her cause and dedicated themselves to missions work in China and in other hard regions of the world. By 1908, a few years later, American missionaries had reestablished the two hospitals that had suffered damage and burning in the incident and started medical work there again. The Chinese church continued to grow, and by 1915, 300 believers worshipped at the Lianchao Church. Well, you can find out more about Eleanor Chestnut on my website, sherryhouse.com, but let me tell you one more part of her story that resonated with my own. Witnesses say that the last act Eleanor performed before her death exemplified the thousands of acts that made up her life. After she was thrown down the temple steps, she landed at the base of a tree. Instead of trying to escape, she noticed a young boy who had an ugly gash on his head from being hit by a stone. She motioned for him to come over, and as one witness put it, with skilled, kind fingers that did not tremble, she tore off a piece of material from the hem of her skirt and skillfully bound up his wound. Her killers watched while she did this and then made their final attack, ending her life. Many Chinese felt the shame and disgrace of the massacre. One young man wrote a letter to her family members shortly after it, stating everyone's shock at the hideous massacre, especially as everyone was well aware of all the missionaries had done there to benefit their people. He said that the cruel and brutal way they were treated in the face of their many kindnesses was a deep shame to their people and their race. He then encouraged Eleanor's family members to remember that she was now with her Savior and at peace, enjoying her eternal reward, after a life of labor and toil. He ended the letter with this statement, And who knows but that her faith unto death influence may be more to the lives of the people at Lianchao hereafter than it has ever been before. This statement proved to be true. I'm reminded of that poem entitled The Dash by Linda Ellis that draws attention to the little dash on a tombstone between the birth date and the death date of someone and how much it represents. I remember the first time I read this poem, I was intrigued by the thought of such a small little thing having such depth of meaning and wondered what my dash would represent when the time came for it to be engraved on my tombstone. I remember when I was a young teen girl being concerned that I might die or that the Lord would come back before I got to do everything I wanted to do. I would listen to sermons about how we should always be hoping for and looking forward to Christ's coming. I always felt a tad guilty, though, when the invitation time came and I'd pray, Lord, I am excited about your return, but can you please just wait until whatever it was I was hoping would come to pass? You could fill in that blank as well. I'm sure you've prayed it before, too. That prayer, or some form of it, was prayed by me many times and way farther into my adulthood than it should have been. Of course, the object of my desire or the milestone I was trying to reach was ever-changing. There was, but not until after I'm in high school, but not until after I've had my first date, but not until after I can drive a car. Yes, Lord, please come quickly, but I hope it isn't until after I get to go to college or until after I get married or I become a mother, and so on and so on. Eventually, in my adulthood, I grew up enough to recognize that these milestones in life that I was desperate to attain before going to heaven showed a great lack of understanding on my part of God's purpose for putting me on this earth, as well as a complete lack of understanding of the wonders of heaven and being with our Savior. It can be life-focusing to take our mind off our own hopes and dreams and think about what God has planned for our dash. I'm sure if asked, Eleanor would have wanted her dash to be longer than the 37 years that it was. But that's not the point. The point is that Eleanor spent all of her dash, or all of the time that God gave her on earth, 
in such a way that mattered for eternity, and in so doing, her life's work and her influence were able to continue on far longer than the date that came after the dash on her tombstone. Today I'd like to do a quick little Bible study I entitled The Length of Your Dash. I have some questions for you. What is your goal in life? When your time on earth is finished, is that the end of it for you? As a Christian, are you satisfied just to know that you will be in heaven? What is God's purpose for putting you on this earth? What have you done in the here and now that will last in the tomorrow? How are you ensuring that your time on this earth isn't just wasted? Do you ever think about if your influence on earth will live as long, if not longer, than the time your earthly body does? These are questions I have asked myself in the past and continue to ask myself, especially when I get caught up in the daily grind, as they say. Here are some observations from just a couple Bible verses that talk about our time on the earth that might help hone our focus when it comes to not only the story of our dash, but the length of it. Number one, Psalms 90.10, the first part says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. It is interesting to look at different countries and see what the average lifespan is. In America, it's 78 and a half. In Thailand, it's just under 77, but in Nigeria, it is only 54. Although 70 years is considered a reasonable or normal lifespan, we are never guaranteed that much time. The second verse is Psalms 90:12. It says, "So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom." To me, this verse doesn't mean so much that you actually count your days, but that you make each day count. It is so easy to let time slip by, always assuming that we have more coming to us. It is like the money in your wallet. If you don't pay attention to where you are spending it, before you know it, you open your wallet and the money is all gone. The third verse is Ephesians 5.14. It says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Have you ever been accused of, or maybe you've accused one of your teenage children, of sleeping their days away, whether literally or figuratively? Christians must be careful to not be guilty of wasting the precious time that God has given us. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's silhouette and learning a little bit more about Eleanor Chestnut's story and this matter of how we spend our dash and how long it lasts. She truly was a woman of whom it could be said she had done what she could. Let's you and I go do what we can do. Silhouettes with Sherry is written and told by missionary Sherry House. To learn more about Sherry, this story, or other stories about women who were used of God, read Sherry's blog at sherryhouse.com. That's S-H-A-R-I house.com. Silhouettes can be heard at this time every week on this station. Silhouettes is a Causeway Media and Faith Music Radio production.